Good morning. Good morning. It's glad to see everyone here, and we have uh, uh, some visitors, uh, some I met, and some that I am amazed to see, and so I'm glad you're here. We're in John, the 16th chapter, so if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. Before we um, begin this morning, we'll have a, a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this chance to be here and gather and assemble and meet with, with others of the like minds and like hearts. And Father, we ask that you will help us in our search for you, that we can find the truths that we can put into our lives and help make us all a little more like you want us to be. Be with the teachers in this building and throughout the world this morning, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In John, the 16th chapter, we'll lead up the first four verses that we had last week, and then we'll start. Uh, John, the 16th chapter, verse 1. I've said all this to you to keep you from falling away. They, and he's, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. This is all an extension of that, that very valuable time that he, he sought so much to be with them in the upper room because, as he said back then, I have so much to tell you. So I've said all this to keep you from falling away, that they will put you out of the synagogues, and indeed the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when, they're, when the hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. Then we begin this week. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've told you these things or said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, he had, he had spoken generally to the disciples about persecution. But there was no need to be nearly as specific as he is now. And why is that? As, why is that, as he said? Yes. And, and as he says here, I'm, I didn't say these things to you beginning because, I mean, I was with you. I'm, 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 I'm with you. But I'm really stepping it up now because I'm not going to be with you. Um, and then he tells them, in essence... I, but I will be with you in spirit, in the spirit. Are, are the disciples taking this in? Are they getting it? They nodding and taking notes. Mm -hmm. Are they at all? If there was, a, if there was an electronic billboard on the head, it would flash <laughs> Yes, it was like, it was just be poof. 
And he even tells them that. He says, I'm going away from you, but you're not asking me where I'm going. And you're not, do, you're not doing anything because you're, you're hung. You're just stuck. I told you I was leaving, and your hearts are just poof, filled with sorrow. And you're just, there you are. He even tells them that. They're just like an emotional shock. They're not saying anything. They're not responding. They're not doing anything. But, and think of it if you're them. Jesus is going to leave him. And, and, and when he does, he's, this is very, what he's just said. He's going to leave, he's going to leave us, and we're going to be hunted down. We're going to be persecuted by our own Jews like criminals. And he'll be, he won't be here, but don't worry. He's going to send us a counselor, a comforter. What, what is that? What are we doing? I mean, it's, it's understandable why they're just, they don't, you know, they're not getting it. And so in verse 7, when he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, this is what the Holy Spirit, who is the counselor or the comforter? Holy Spirit. And this is, we're not going to go into a Holy Spirit class, but we're going to at least look at three things we know for sure the Holy Spirit's going to do when he comes to them. And when he comes, verse 8, he will convince the world he will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So, what about this verse 8 here? When he comes, he will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. How is the Holy Spirit do this? How is he going? How is the counselor going to do this? How will he convince the world of sin? That's and that's when, and and that's right where we will go, or we will throw that in there too, when Acts two thirty seven actually is where we'll start. But when when Peter preaches, and their hearts are pricked, these hearts are cut, it says, and and they go, what 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 do we do? What do we do? convict the world of sin through the written word and and the sin what is the ultimate sin here um the ultimate and and he says he will convict the world of sin is he is it going to be about lying or is it going to be about uh old uh gossiping and is it going to be about uh, drinking and and yes yeah, yeah. But what is what is what is the what is the ultimate sin that they're going to be convicted of? 
Hmm? Yes. Killing Jesus, which is really at the core of it, is denying who he is. That's the ultimate sin. The ultimate revelation of God to men is Jesus. He's the ultimate revelation. So to reject Jesus is the ultimate sin. If you remember how this book started, in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. He was the light of men. Verse 9, the true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. Again, we're talking about Jesus, but to all who received him and believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. It goes down, verse 16, from his fullness, fullness, we have all that we've received, grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and no one has ever seen God, the only Son who was in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. So that's how the whole book even starts framing Jesus as the ultimate expression of the Father. And the only way, as we learn in John 14, the only way to the Father is through him. So if you've heard this proclamation of the gospel, if Acts, you know, when that happens on that day, when Peter starts with that great sermon, and you reject Jesus, there isn't any other way. Your guilt of your sin remains. There, is no, there isn't anything else we can do here. We don't have any plan. There are no plan Bs. There, there are no other plans. If you reject Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, the, the Christ, we're done. We're done here. And that's where Hebrews, for instance, Hebrews 2 Verses 1 through 4, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. For if the message spoken through the angels proved to be so firm that every violation or disobedience received its just penalty, then how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And it's that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, working through the Word, working on our hearts, that's really the difference maker. I, I don't really believe that we can, if, if we, no amount of preaching, no amount of pulpit pounding or finger pointing or anything is going to change anybody's life. It would be the spirit that pricks your heart that makes the difference. And as Robbie pointed out in Acts 2.37, when they heard this, it said they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And it's really interesting what that word is. It, it, the Greek is K-A-T-A-N-U-S-S-O, katanuso. And, and it's, 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 two, it's, a, it's two Greek words put together. 
It's only used twice in the New Testament. One, when they were cut to their heart. Kata means down deep, down deep. Nuso means sliced, pierced, stabbed, punctured, sting, cut, stunned. So that's what happened. They were down deep inside. They were, they were pierced, cut. You know, you, you, if you want to know how, how vital this is, the other time that it's used is in John 19, verse 34. The same word is used when the soldier pierced Catanuso, Jesus' side, and blood and water came out. Those are the two times in the New Testament that that Greek Catanuso is, is used. So these people, when the Spirit operates on your heart, it goes deep inside. Um, we know Romans 1.16, Robbie, as you pointed out again, the gospel is, is what leads men to salvation. We know that. Uh, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In 1 Peter 1, 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere love for the brethren, love one another earnestly from the heart, for you have been born anew, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So that's what's going on here. And, and again, the answer, what is the ultimate sin? What does Jesus say in verse 9? What is it? Why will the Spirit convict the world of sin? What does he say? Because they don't believe in me. Because they don't believe in me. And that is, that's, the, that's your ultimate sin there. The second thing it's going to do is the Holy Spirit will convince the world concerning righteousness because Jesus is going to the Father and will be seen no longer. How will the Spirit, how does he convict or convince the world of righteousness? In their time, it's really a two-fold look at this. In their time, if you know, the Jews were the ones that kept thinking they were righteous and they were angered and, and Jesus was the blasphemer. They were justifying the whole crucifixion on the fact that he was, he was the criminal. He was the sinner. They were the ones that were righteous. And if you remember in John 8, some of the passages, and Rick brought out the, the end verse of that a couple of weeks ago that huge discourse between the Jews and him they were saying to Jesus Abraham is our father and Jesus says that this can't be if you were Abraham's children you would have done what he's doing but instead and, and this is all in John the 8th chapter starting about verse 39 if you but you know you would have done what Abraham did but instead you do what your father's doing who is who is Satan, the devil. 
He's a liar and a thug and a murderer and has been from the beginning. And they get really nasty and dirty and says, well, at least our father wasn't, you know, we weren't born out of fornication like you were, you know, making a real low blow about the, the immaculate conception here. And it just gets really nasty. So anyway, he goes down, and, and, and then they say, well, we think you've got a demon. And he goes, no, anybody that keeps my word will never see death. And then they go, well, now we know, now we know you're out of your mind. And they grab up stones and they're going to kill him. Because he says, truly, truly, before Abraham was, your father, I am. And that just pushed him over the edge. So they're the ones that are going, we're the right ones, we're the righteous ones, we're the child of, we're, we're the line of Abraham. You're out of your mind. He's, he, again, is going at their hearts. They have spent, the Jews have spent generations upon generations building this perfect beast. Because every time, no matter, no matter how many laws you have, you're always going to have to make more laws. Because you, you, you can't, you just, you know, it's like mercury on your hands. Uh, we, can, we can only do this. Well, then there was always that exception that comes up. Okay, fine. Then if you do this, then you, have, then you can do this. And then some other, you know, well, what if I, I know the speed limit's 80, but my wife's giving birth in the back seat and I'm going 100. Okay, how about this? You can't, so you're never going to stop this stuff. Jesus, God is all about the heart. So they've constructed this stuff. They're the righteous ones. They continually are on it. And when Jesus begins to break that down and basically say, as he does now, we're tearing this curtain in two. You don't, nobody has to go through you to go through to God or all that stuff. You go, you, I'm the way. And they, can, they, just, they, they, can't, they, they don't want any part of that. So that's one attack there when he's talking about it. But the other thing is we're all held to some we're all held to some standard of righteousness just because there's absolute truth in this book right here. There is absolute truth. And so we're held to some absolute standard of righteousness at some level, even though the world denies it all viciously. So who is the standard bearer of righteousness? Jesus, in verse 10, <laughs> points to himself. What does he say in verse 10? Uh, again, talking about the Spirit, uh, because they do not believe in me. Uh, and then he will convict of righteousness be because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. So he's setting himself up as I'm the paragon of righteousness here because I'm going to go to the Father. There's only, how many people 
How many people came from God and came to this earth and lived an entirely perfect, sinless life? Jesus. Yeah, yes. And then ascended back to God. How many? One. Him. He is the ultimate proof that he is the righteous one. He is the righteous one. I know he would, and he had to be to be that perfect sacrifice, and you know that that it's it's the we we have to be clear on that. You know, if had Jesus not been perfectly righteous and perfectly obedient, he never would have been resurrected. Okay, he was resurrected because he fulfilled everything. This wasn't a done deal. Jesus could have, the humanity could have, he could have been pushed at some point. But he didn't. He was obedient even unto death. And therefore, he was resurrected again. You've got to understand that these apostles did not understand. (laughs) No. No. Absolutely, and it, it's it, this is, and and it comes up. It really starts to come up in the on this third part when he's talking about judgment, and then how he follows up after that. You're absolutely right. Even though these men had been with him for three years, and they've seen things that nobody else has seen, and and and, and they've been nurtured and and loved, and <laughs> this is. This is, they're, not, they're not grasping this. And so much of the world, and it's even now, even at the end, even when it's done, it's called foolishness because most of the world thinks it's nuts. They don't believe in it. It's true. It's absolute true, absolute truth. And it's, it's just, these people are not grasping it. When, when Jesus ad- admits that the only the perfect one was him, was his father, because he was still in the middle of it at that point. And, and for us, by the way, there's an eternal sort of, and there's a concept that, we, that we, we, we have to constantly remind ourselves of, is we are, we are people need to see themselves as sinners, I need to see, I'll put it myself, I need to see myself as, as you have brought up, Ricky, deserving of God's eternal wrath. 
I mean, I can't do this on my own. It's only because of Jesus being the righteous one, being the son of God, that, that lived the perfect life, that was mortared, martyred, killed on the cross for me, but then resurrected because of that perfect, perfect life. Unless I understand that, I'm never gonna. I'm never gonna have that salvation that I need. I'm never gonna appreciate it. This isn't like a. We don't have as this church or any church that claims to be one of God. We don't have like this five-step plan of salvation. We don't have a formula. We don't have. Uh, we, we don't. We don't have anything. We don't. What we have is Jesus who is the way and the truth and the life. And through him is the only way to the Father, which is the only way to eternal salvation. That's what we have. And unless you understand your own sinfulness and your own need for him, um, it's, it's just, you're never going to get there. You're just never going to get there. The third thing the Holy Spirit's going to do is convince the world concerning judgment. And the world is facing judgment, and the Holy Spirit is, it will convince or convict the world of truth, and the day of reckoning is coming. It's scheduled. I don't know when it is exactly, but I know there is one. But judgment, by the way, has already started. It's already begun. Because what does Jesus tell us in the 11th verse? Um, Again, the lead-up would be that the Holy Spirit will convince or convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So judgment has really already begun. And if you look in John 12, it'll tell you that again. John 12 and verse 28, where Jesus said, Father, glorify thy name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd standing by heard it and said, um, it must have thundered. And others said, an angel spoke to him. But Jesus said, this voice has come for your sake and not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. So this future judgment uh, of those who believe or haven't believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins is is what is being talked about. And, and if you want to go back into John 5, um, verse 21 through 30, you can read in, in you know, some great detail about, about that. So the Holy Spirit does things, uh, but at least three things that... that Jesus tells them here, the Spirit is going to come, this counselor, this, this, this comforter that I'm giving you, the Spirit is going to, among other things, convict and convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So we at least know those three things, and, now, and you have them right here. Mark them down. Continuing, John 16, uh, verse 12. I've yet many things to say to you, but you couldn't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, there he is again, 
He will guide you into all truth, and, and for he will not seek on his own, speak on his own authority, but he will speak um, on whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, and all that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That gets a little confusing right in there. What will the Spirit do for the disciples in verse 14? Or did he tell them? It says, the Spirit will take what is the Son's and burn it into these men. And then in verse 15, what does he say? He says, well, all that is the Father's is the Son's, and the Spirit will take what is the Son's, which is really the Father's, and, and he will make it his own and declare it to you. So, um, without getting, you know, again, into an entire class of that, this is where it begins to be hard to fathom. What is the exact relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit anyway? Or scratch out exact. They are the Godhead. What are some characteristics that we're seeing about them? They're in harmony. They're in harmony. They're in harmony. Complete harmony. Complete harmony. They're one, but they're distinctly different. There has to be some oneness, but yet distinction continuously. Um, what is the best analogy we have to explain that? I've, I've heard so many in my lifetime, and I, I don't know that I like any of them all the way. But is, what, is, what is an analogy? What's a, how do we, we can't get our minds around this. This is kind of above us. But if we're trying to explain this to somebody, what is a decent analogy for the Father and the Son and the Spirit? There's no difference in them. I've heard one time, like I said, you probably already heard this one, but it's like an apple and you split it three ways. It's still an apple, but you split it three ways. And the three ways you would split it are? God, Holy Spirit. Okay. I hadn't heard that. <laughs> okay. I hadn't heard that. There you go. See that? <laughs> well, there it is. It's an apple. Are there any other? Uh, I'm not dismissing that. But. It's also as an individual. I can be his wife, I can be his mother, I can be his father, I can be his aunt, but yet he's still all in one. That's pretty good. Um, you can be a wife, a daughter, a mother, uh, but it's. But you're still you continuously while being those other things. That's that's not bad. Do you mind if I use you now? <laughs> Are there any other ones? They're one in purpose. They're what? They're one in purpose. They're one in purpose. 
the same person. They have the same personality? Distinct personalities, yes. That's why some of them would break down when they would say it would be like uh, ice and, um, what was it, ice and water and steam or something. I mean, that's all water, but it's, well, that doesn't work so much because you have to stop being ice to be water, and you have to stop being water to be steam. And then, so that doesn't work because they, they have to be continuously the same. One that was that wasn't too bad was a you know a C E and a G on a major chord. They're distinct notes, but when played, they're in perfect harmony. That's yeah, they are. They are all three eternal. Yes, they're all eternal. It, it's just and it, and it starts to creep in when you have these verses like we just read. The Spirit will come and make what's mine yours. What is but what is mine is actually the Father's, and he will take that and make that yours. It's, it becomes um, confusing if, we not, if we're not careful. So I just wanted to, to throw that out. What, what else can we notice from this passage about how much uh, God reveals to us and when? And the reason I ask that is he, he starts out, I have yet many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. Um, what, what, what about us today? I mean, what does this tell us about what God sometimes helps us with or lets us know? And I'm not talking about some crazy special revelation, but, but what does that give us any, any indication of his love for us? Deuter- it, it does. It, it does. Um, by that I mean, I I I love how gracious God is in allowing us what He reveals to us. Okay. But I'm also very very thankful for what He doesn't reveal to us. Okay. Um, God went, wants to transform us, not necessarily inform us, and uh, I'm gracious very much. I'm grateful for, for what he reveals and what he conceals. Um, sometimes I want to know. I just want to know. Second Kings 6, as we all know that. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, and behold, an army with horses and chariots was around the city, and the servant said, Alas, my master, what will we do? And he said, Fear not, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So then Elijah, uh, Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes so that he could see. And just for a moment, the Lord opened his eyes, and the young man saw the mountains was full of Horses and chariots. Uh, sometimes things are really, really nasty, and they look terrible, and I would be neat if you know, God would reveal more to me. I want to know those things. Other times I don't. Ephesians six ten. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God you may be able, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we're not contending against flesh and blood. And this is talking to you and me. We're not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual host of wickedness 
in heavenly places. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see it. I know, but I... Do you really want to see? Do you really want to see the spiritual warfare that's going on all around you for you? And it helps to build your faith in those things. We've had several of those where I have, how many times? And I have been, no, that is not. And then somewhere down the road, I went, oops, sorry. Uh, I get it now, you know. Or that first big move to, you know, I I had gone, approached the company and we we. We had this little tiny baby, and every time I come home, she was bigger, and I didn't want to travel like that anymore. I wanted to have my own little city, which I meant was close to where we were working. And like that is that I'll see you in San Francisco on Monday. I didn't mean I didn't mean that, not at all. But in hindsight, that'd be a whole other class. I could tell you why it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. What we need to keep in mind, and mark this one. This is one of those passages that comes out of nowhere, but it's one you should mark. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. In essence, God, there are things going on that are secret things that God knows we don't need to know. But the things that he has revealed to us, we need to keep those with us forever and with our hearts and for our children and for our lives. Uh, One also thing about this too If you look at John, we continue here in the 13th verse. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will glorify, he will declare to you things that are to to come, and he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That thing, who was Jesus speaking to at that point? Who was he speaking to? Right, huh? Yeah, his what will be his? He's speaking to his disciples, who will be his apostles. He's speaking to them, and he's he's Jesus is not making a general statement for all time, okay? And this is really important uh, because people misuse this. They will pull this out, and they will misuse it. 
new truths are not going to be revealed to some uh, indefinite period of people over some indefinite period of time. What he was talking about, well, the, the, the Spirit will reveal to you things that are to come. He's talking to them about that situation. People will want to pull this out. So any promise of some future revelation or further revelation that the Holy Spirit is going to bring to you or somebody that pertains to godliness is garbage. It's not true, and people will misuse those kind of things. It's a promise we can't claim for ourselves. It was for them. Um, here and just at the end, uh, 16 through 19, in a little while you will see me no more, and again in a little while you will see me. And some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and then you will see me, and you will not see me, and again a little later you will see me, and, 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 and because I go to the Father. And they said, what does this mean by a little while? We, we don't know what this means. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you won't see me, and again in a little while you will see me? We will get into that section next week and finish it up and actually get into the 17th chapter. But what, what, is, what is going on here? What, what do we learn about Jesus right here? And you're absolutely right, Rob. He's talking to them about his death and, and his resurrection. But what I want to focus on is, is this, this temperance, the, the, who Jesus is, who God is, who the Spirit is, one of the aspects of God. This is not one of those Sermon on the Mount things. This is not one of those, and Jesus said, wah, 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 wah. This is one of those, this is clearly, he's trying to break this down to his followers and this is a point where they're talking to themselves and they're going what wait i don't know what he's talking about if it was if it was some of us i would go robbie what does he what does he mean we've been with him for three years what does he mean he's going away and then he's going to get and then and we won't see and then he comes back and then what is he talking about and jesus he, jesus doesn't he doesn't have to hear this he knows this and he's so loving that he comes to them and he, he's, he's, he's like, I know what you're thinking. You, you, I, know, I, I know what you're talking. I know what you want to ask me. This is, and then he goes into more detail. That's what we'll start with next week. He is so, this Jesus that we have, when, when we're the ones, when we're the ones today that are going, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get this. I don't understand this. But I know it pertains to me. I want. What do you think Jesus is going to do? What do you think the Holy Spirit's going to do? What is God going to do? Well, keep working at it. Figure it out. 
Look up on the internet. There's some neat stuff there that might help you. No, not at all. That's not the God we serve. This is a God that's going, I hear you, I hear you. This is, and, and he, he helps, he helps. He wants to help you. He wants you to know. He wants you. He loves you because he cares. He's so gentle and tender. And that's the part I wanted to bring out of that little part. He's so gentle and tender. Yes. And he started out that in the chapter. I mean, I'm telling you this because I don't want you to get your pins knocked out from me. He's telling them things they've never heard before. Uh, he's telling them things they've never heard before. They, they can't comprehend him because they don't know what he's talking about. Right. And, we, and, and again, we have a God. We have a God that says, you've been with me for three years. Why are you so stupid? What are you, stupid? What's your problem? We have a God that keeps coming back and saying, here's what it is. Here's what it is. I will help you. Thank you very much. Uh, next week, we'll finish that up. And then John 17. Read John 17. We're going to get into that. It's a really good chapter. Thank you.